Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Reverend Angel Chodo Williams is an activist, master trainer, founder of Transformative Change. She's also the author of Being Black, Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace, and most recently the book Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation. She returned to our weekly Dharma gathering a couple of weeks ago uh, after her first visit, which was a couple years ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, she gave this talk, which you're about to hear on the podcast, uh, entitled Radical Dharma, How Your Liberation, Why Your Liberation is Bound Up with Mine. How must our collective awakening contend with the legacy, legacies of uh, various forms of injustice? Not only is this a powerful talk, but the Q&A after is also uh, quite illuminating. So I definitely recommend listening to the whole podcast. Visit our website, ny.chimbala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Our introductory course is called Meditation in Everyday Life. Our introductory weekend meditation intensive is called Shambhala Training Weekend One. They are both great opportunities to dive in uh, for a newcomer. And uh, you can find more information on the homepage of the website, nymbala.org. You should also know the conversations addressed in this episode of the podcast continue every month at the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York's Race, Racism, and Racial Inequality meetings. Uh, this group is currently having a discussion on Reverend Angel's book, Radical Dharma. The next meeting is taking place at Shambhala NYC on Thursday, June 7th, at 7 p.m. Okay, here is Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. I think we are finally at a place in which we can accept the truth that there, are no, there is no one that escapes from oppression, that none of us escape from it, that there's not a dichotomy of those who are victimized and those who perpetrate that ultimately everyone is deeply wounded. Sometimes that's at the level of their material access, their ability to house themselves, to feed themselves, to have access to education, and not just the education that someone else wants them to have, but the education that they want to have for their own peoples in the ways that they want to learn and train and live and to determine, to be self-determined in the way that they are healthy, that they are well, that they are educated, that they commune, that they love, that we be together. When we are realizing that people that seem to be in a position of we keep calling it privilege, as if someone else wants what they've got. We have to rethink that thing. 
I've used it myself, but we evolve, right? We evolve together. We get stuck on this notion of white privilege or dominant privilege as if the other people, really what's going on is that the other marginalized people want what the people that have privilege have. But I, ha I, ha I want no part of that illness. I want no part of the illness that renders people unable to see the beauty of all of our differences, the beauty of my mixed raceness, blackness, queerness, all of the things that I am. I want no part of an illness that renders me unable to be connected to love. And so we have to stop framing it as privilege in such a way that suggests that really what's happening is those of us that have not want what those of you have, we have to recognize that the construct of white supremacy, so-called the lie of white supremacy, is an illness that none of us want, and I don't wish it on anyone. Not on myself and not on you. That what we have been told is a lie. And that what our work is, particularly those of us that say that we identify ourselves with this path of liberation, what our role is, what our work is, is to free ourselves, to get in there and to observe that construct and observe the ways in which it limits us from our full potential. Our full potential to what? To have more stuff? To climb the corporate ladder? To gain more property, more money, more things? I was just joking about succumbing to the, the, the terrible disease of having a, a storage unit. <laughs> People in the past will look in the future and go, really? This is what it has come to? And you call yourself advanced? This disease that keeps us from knowing each other, from seeing each other, is something that every single one of us must be, by way of our commitment to liberation, must be committed to undoing. The people that are so-called marginalized are going to figure it out for themselves. In fact, given the enormity of the construct, it is amazing, and you should applaud, for every single person that is marginalized in this society every time you see them. The fact that they have joy in their hearts at all is phenomenal, given the momentum of weight that they bear 
in their trans bodies, in their queer bodies, in their disabled bodies, in their neurodiverse bodies, in their female bodies, in their black bodies. We should celebrate them all. Because for each of us, anyone that has insisted on their liberation such that they can have joy, that's the pursuit, such that they can have love, represents for the rest of us the possibility, the promise that the Dharma puts before us and says, yes, liberation is possible, even for you. Liberation is possible, even for you. And one of the real problems of the Dharma now is that it has been so limited and so constricted inside of a kind of fear of patriarchy, a fear of the ways in which patriarchy has devastated Christianity, a fear of the ways in which dominant culture has also affected Judaism, has also the ways, the ways in which um, fanaticism has affected Islam. And so we've rendered our dharma small. We've made it as limited as we could possibly make it. And we no longer ascribe to the promise of liberation. We think, oh, we'll just do this nice thing where we'll meditate and we'll be nicer people and we'll be more compassionate and we'll be more wise and we never say the word love. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with a society that doesn't have love as its central value? And what would be so criminal is to have the opportunity before us to liberate, to liberate ourselves from these obscurations that keep us from knowing ourselves and knowing each other and knowing that what our birthright is, is exactly love. That's the only reason I'm here. Race is simply the obscuration to the path of liberation for us all. And when I say race, I mean race and ethnicity and heritage and skin color and all of those things that we have conflated into it. And not because I want it to be that way, because someone else set it forth hundreds of years ago decided, uh, it was a pope, I forget his name. Does anyone remember his name? Doctrine of Discovery. We of Europe shall go forth and take everything. Take the land from the heathens. Make use of it for our own use and continue to discover.
Hence, we have this myth of someone discovering a place that's already there, where people are already there. And I was uh, watching a fellow the other day. He said, if you want to see how much of a myth it is, just leave your purses and your wallets here and let me discover them. <laughs> see how you feel about that. Thank you. Say his name again. Nicholas V, the doctrine of discovery. Completely upended what our spiritual paths are supposed to be about and uh, tainted it, poisoned it with white supremacy. And then that poison was brought to this land and we were set into a place of confusion about what it means to be human for the sake of access, for the sake of land, for the sake of being able to get on, on top. We were partitioned, we were separated from our natural birthright. And many of us in the room know these stories and many of us don't. And I, I invite those of us that don't know those stories to set about getting yourself educated. Because if you don't have that education, you render yourself into what the true meaning of the poison of ignorance is about, which is wrong knowing. It's not a, I just don't know, I had no idea. It is willful wrong knowing. If you hadn't figured that out, there's a reason we have anger, which has a momentum, a direction, a willfulness to it. We have greed, which has, it is a negative emotion that has momentum and a willfulness to it. Why would ignorance be neutral? And many of us escape through the doorway of ignorance. Oh, I didn't know any better. And too many of us have been skating on this thin ice of willful ignorance for far too long. Google is your friend. <laughs> and book lists. There are many, many resources. And we don't have the right, we don't have the right to try to know our own personal minds without understanding the conditioning and the making and the fabrication of that mind. And our social conditions are the making of your mind. You don't get your own mind. You only have a collective mind. You only ever have had a collective mind. And so those of us that have been running around in the Dharma saying, that's not the path of the Buddha. The Buddha never talked about social justice. And many people tweet this at me, by the way. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. 
the path of the Buddha was so explicitly rooted in decasting and declassing, not only it was so much what he did that he didn't even have to say anything about it because it was all that he did. <laughs> I don't walk around saying, I walked. <laughs> yep, got here and I walked. He left the longest standing institution that brings people in regardless of color, caste, and now even gender. And that was his teaching. Not the words, solely the words someone captured hundreds of years later. He left the institution, an institution devoted to giving people back the opportunity to be liberated no matter who they were. He stripped away the things that were most telling of where they came from, what class, what rank, what ilk. And he said every single person has the right to be free. It would only be people that sit in a position of perceived supremacy that would suggest that this brown man whose teachings they have appropriated, that they somehow understand better what a person that was up to the job of freedom was doing better than those whose essential life is based on the need to be free. It is the people that are most marginalized, the people that have most been bound by societies that most acutely understand what it is to be free. We turn that upside down. We get some idea in our head that the people that have the most access, that the people that build the institutions, that create the buildings, that have the money, would somehow know better. But what is happening is those folks are trying to fabricate liberation. They're trying to fabricate liberation and give themselves away by the intent to own it. Because no one that has ever touched liberation could possibly want for anything else but for everyone else's liberation. And so if you ever run into a Dharma teacher that has anything else to say other than this path should be, we must make it, we must do everything we can 
to make sure that we do not obstruct it because we do not own it. This path is for all. And any teacher, they may be clever, I'm sure quite intelligent, probably slick with words, but I tell you they are a shyster if they would have liberation withheld from anyone, it means they don't know what liberation is. They have not yet touched it. And I wish it for them, but they have not yet touched it. And our role is to hold them accountable to our fierce determination to have that liberation for ourselves. And the only way that we can do that is to know that when we insist, when we insist, and I don't, I wanna draw that back, not that teachings be made available, that people not get in the way of teachings, that people not obstruct them, that people not steal them. When we insist that that be the truth for our center, for our communities, for our government, for our institutions, we must know that what we are asking for is for ourselves to be free. We must know, we must learn down to the core of our being and if you've not yet felt that, if you've not yet touched it, you have work to do. You have work to do. You must come to know for yourself down to the core of your being that if any part of you feels limited, restricted, wanting to hold back anything that opens the doorway, the pathway, the possibility of liberation it is not a reflection on them, it is a reflection on you. That if you feel that impulse, then that means you have work to do. And how joyous is that? How often do we get told, you know, you've got work to do and it's right there that someone can point it out for you. So when you walk out into the world or you're in your centers and you feel that contraction when you see a big dark brother like Lama Rod rolling in and until you realize that he's the teacher you don't you think maybe you have to worry or maybe you have to be extra nice to him or you have to coddle him or make sure that he knows that he's okay he knows that he's okay by the way <laughs> if you feel that impulse if you feel that sense of tension in which you locate yourself apart from him. You know that you are living with the legacy of, I won't remember his name, Pope Nicholas. <laughs> and that Pope Nicholas has your freedom still in the palm of his hands. 
that you don't have to be Christian to fall to white supremacy. You don't even have to be white to succumb to the disease of white supremacy. And in this country, you can very, very easily make the case that white supremacy and hindrance from liberation are one and the same thing. That for us, and in, in this place and in this time, if you can make your way through white supremacy, I think nirvana will be found. <laughs> I say that for myself. I say that for brown bodies. I say that for Asian bodies, for indigenous bodies. That that is how deep it is. That our liberation, that our Buddhist path is being held hostage by somebody's proclamation from hundreds of years ago. And if you're committed, in fact, if you are on fire If you want to change what's happening in this country, route out the thing that is stuck in you. If you want children to be free, women to not be raped, route out the thing that is hindering your liberation. If this talk irritates you, you're in a really good place. <laughs> and if it doesn't, and you have material access, you have material resources, and the lens of your practice is not turned towards liberation, it means you're asleep. I'm not your teacher. I'm a teacher. But that I can tell you. There is no liberation without collective liberation. It is just not possible. I wish it were possible because I would like to be 100 percent completely free. And I have to wait for you. <laughs> so the work for me is to get as many of you on the path as I can. Not to help me, but because you believe in it deeply, you want it, you feel the fire in your belly of liberation for yourself. I know that that is not politically correct. Reparations, yes indeed. 
Sign some checks right now. Gatekeepers, I'm talking to you, too. You know who you are. Those of you that are upholding white supremacy and patriarchy so high that they have to jump over to get in. We've internalized oppression. We've internalized patriarchy. We've internalized the idea that we should be divided, that we should be separated, that we are different, that we are better, that someone's less than, that I am less than. I've internalized that. And every day, with every waking breath, I push against it. And I don't do it. I didn't come, for those of you that don't know this, I, I'm, I'm not, I didn't go and study race theory. I didn't come to the Dharma and bring my little trip. Everything I see, everything I say, everything I speak about, about liberation came from this very Dharma. The same Dharma that you may hold dear. The Buddha Dharma, the Yoga Dharma, the Christian Dharma, the Jewish Dharma, all of the fundamental truths that give us the path to do nothing but see ourselves. And when we see ourselves, all we want is for our liberation. And when we want for our liberation, all we want is for the liberation of everyone else. This is not something that is coming from the side. And I don't mean that you should now go and study race to the detriment of your practice, or study patriarchy, or study oppression to the detriment of your practice. We need the container that our spiritual life provides. We need the turning inward, because society doesn't have all the answers for us. We have to find that resonant truth in ourselves that helps us to move towards a clear seeing of what is happening outside. So those of us that are solely monastic and solely want to turn inward, we can't be free. Those of us that are just activists or just you know, uh, wrestling with how do we deal with this liberation, how do we deal with oppression, we cannot be free. It's an inside-out job. We actually need both paths. We need self, and we desperately need other. We need to understand the parts of ourselves that we don't want to know. We need to understand the parts of society have told us we should have shame about. We need to understand our history and our context, and then live through that, live into that truth. We don't have to have the answers. We just have to choose to live into the truth. And the truth 
<laughs> you know where I'm. <laughs> this is why I use the word dharma instead of truth. There's all sorts of highway robbery going on. The truth is both universal and yet ever unfolding from moment to moment. And that is not easy for most of us to apprehend. We want it to be clear. We want it to be fixed. We want to have a neat packaged answer. We want somebody to come and give us the answer, tell us what to do, abdicate our responsibility, give up our agency, and hope for the best. You don't get to walk a path of liberation and not be accountable. First and foremost, liberation is about choosing to be 100% accountable, 100% accountable for who and how you are. And if that sounds like a really long job that you are gonna be working at for the rest of your life, it is. And there are other things you could be doing with your time. You just don't get to say you're walking a path of liberation. I have no dominion over what anyone does. And maybe my insight is really, really tiny. But I know this to be true. Liberation never wants anything else other than liberation for all. And the only way I could be sitting here and not be absolutely furious, livid with every man, every white body, every straight body, is for my path. Even when I want to be mad, even when I want to be hating on folks, because they represent dominant paradigms, I cannot, because liberation wants nothing else but liberation for all. That's the only reason I can speak from here, is because one day I woke up, and much to my chagrin, I loved the very same people that would rather see my body laying, laying in the street. I love the very same people that would ignore me in my Dharma Center. I loved the very same people that would make me invisible. I didn't say I liked them, but I do love them. And that is not, sorry Jesus, I'm gonna borrow this from you, an easy cross to bear. This is not the path of get out there and it's going to be easier for you. This is not the path of everything is going to be neat. 
This is not the path of all of the answers will make you feel good. This is a path of complexity. One could say that until you touch insight, it's actually a path of confusion. Because in order to undo the confusion you have that you don't know you have, you have to be completely confused. Everything that you think you know about how things are has to be set aside. And the best position you can start from is to be absolutely certain that you are completely caught up. To be absolutely certain. To not say, oh, I'll notice when I'm being an oppressor. I'll notice when I'm being a misogynist. And I, that is not specific to men, by the way. You do not have to be in a male body to be a misogynist, just so you know. This is how deep it is. I'll notice when I'm being racist, white supremacist. Of course you won't. Of course you won't. So you have to just assume. You have to just assume that you are careening through space, a ball of willful ignorance, of wrong knowing. That is the beginning of the path. The moment that you're uh, entirely clear that you know absolutely nothing, you have begun. I have no idea where it ends. What I do know is if you don't get on your path, I don't get to finish mine. So it is my deepest hope that whatever part of you is holding some idea from wherever you sit, whatever location, if you are caught up, fixated in being a victim, if you are caught up and fixated in the idea that you should just be guilt-ridden and there's nothing you could possibly do to redeem yourself. Any place in which you are caught up, where you are stuck, where you are bound, this is not cause for concern. This is not cause for you to give up. This is exactly where your path begins. There's no reason to go out and fix yourself up and have it all together. You use exactly where you are, the truth of your existence right here and right now. Create communities around you that will behold you in the truth of exactly who you are right now. Know that no one that is committed to love and liberation would shame you. And those are not the communities and spaces you belong in if that's what's happening. Know that no one has your answers. That is your job. I trust entirely 
100%. That if you have fierce commitment, fierce commitment to your own liberation, that you are worthy to walk on this path with me side by side towards liberation for all. Thank you so much. Before anyone asks a question, I really want you to know that I'm not, um, I'm not fragile. <laughs> I completely appreciate that we, we, we treat Dharma teachers with care and certainly respect, um, but uh, don't lose the opportunity to challenge if that's where you're, what you're holding. It, it, it would be the worst kind of um, offense, really, to have the opportunity to ask a question that is really up for you and true for you, and to let coddling teachers keep you from asking it in the way that you need to ask it. Be respectful, uh, but bring it. <laughs> Um, thank you. Wow. Uh, and thank you for just like stirring the pot like all through the Dharma community. Like it's, it's happening. It and is. the study of your book is kind of really setting people ablaze. Both kind of, I guess, all good, but seemingly uncomfortable for some. Um, A little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, can you... Uh, so sometimes when I'm in group and I'm trying to have these conversations, it feels like there's uh, an inclination to kind of separate out. So all the trans want to go here, and all you know the blacks want to go here, and all. So there's, and and so you kind of slightly touched on it where I, it feels like when people represent the oppressor, you know, mm -hmm. you're a white person and I want to hate on you, mm -hmm. and so somehow it feels like that's what's happening when there's like. I, we need to be safe within our own smaller communities mm -hmm. in order to make progress or to f hear each other or to, to know how we feel and, and maybe go out from that space. Is there, is, is, that, is that a useful process to totally. split? Yeah. Absolutely. And how, and how quickly can we move out from that separation? As quickly as you get out the way. As I get out the way. That's right. No. People that have always been entitled to, their, to space and to place have no idea what it's like to never have been entitled to, like, once upon a time, it would be illegal for me, them, and them to get together. We, we would be shot mm. on the street. I don't, I don't mean because there were some evil, weird people. I mean, because it was the law. And that lives in us. 
And we need to have the communication that you understand that I am entitled to gather to determine the way and the path to my freedom. And if you are truly invested in your freedom, then you will let me do that and not obstruct it. You will not put your needs and your desire for some kind of picture, image of togetherness that actually obstructs my ability to understand what it is to first be with myself, to be with peoples that I've not been allowed to be just as I am. One of the reasons that radical dharma makes people uncomfortable is because we're not code switching as much in it. Mm. And so it's not a book that is oriented towards coddling white folks, just the way I said don't coddle me as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It's not coddling white folks, we're speaking into exactly where we are. And we raise that voice, and when people weren't doing that, that's what got edited. And so put aside your urgency for 400 years of separation, of being kept from one another, to be over. And people that have been marginalized or might even be like a little rough sometimes. Mm -hmm. They've got to work through it. Mm -hmm. Here's what I know. If we have not risen up and overthrown all of you already, <laughs> we will probably eventually make our way back around. <laughs> they could be meeting someplace else. So you, you have to hold the fact that they're choosing to be in spaces apart but together is actually meaningful, mm -hmm. right? That they're choosing to be there at all in the same way that I trust that every single person that is sitting here has their heart in the right place and maybe their actions don't follow through. But I have to sit and speak from that. I have to center that love and that trust. Mm -hmm. I center it because I believe it for myself. When you believe it for yourself, you will let them be. You will let them find their way. And the only way for us to go when we move this through our system, when we move the toxicity of what it has meant for us to be kept from our peoples, from, kept from being able to speak to each other, and know that we can do that in the presence of white folks, in the presence of men, in the presence of the so-called oppressor. To know that we can do that is actually a much clearer indication that we are truly free. We've always hidden. We've always gone aside. We've always come together. Mm -hmm. But that we're choosing to do it in the presence of mm -hmm. the so-called dominant culture mm -hmm. is a way in which we're signaling to ourselves that we're truly free. So let that process unfold. Thank you. I, I want to say that one thing is, um, it's always, it's always uh, folks in dominant positions and, or people that have been acculturated into dominant positions as gatekeepers that freak out when we, when we do radical dharma and we have a fishbowl. 
and we do the fishbowl and we put white folks together and colored folks together and self-identify, or we, we, we Congress and we caucus. And it's always folks that are uh, in positions of relative uh, power, right? So relative social power that freak out about that. That's worthy of such, I mean, we, we could talk about that for the rest of the evening, <laughs> right? That like, what is it? And that's what you want to do is you want to be curious about what is it in you that wants to time it? What is it in you that wants to know, like, when is that going to stop? How long is that? It should be held in respect. For sure, right? Like, we, we have to have that. We have to do this respectfully, no matter what our wounds are. Um, or we have to partition ourselves off to some place where we can work it out if we're not ready to even be respectful. But beyond that, let it unfold. Know that a few hundred, that people working it out for a couple of years against 400 years, 200 years, 80 years is no time at all. Thank you. Hello, Sensei. Um, I, I, my Sangha. against that, and they're now doing it upstate. But one of the things that I found um, that was happening is that we would once again separate in groups. But when we came together, and I feel that, like this happens even in the larger culture, there's the, um, the people who are the oppressed who share their stories, and it's great because it's like this is the opportunity to tell you what it's like to be a woman in the world, and let me share my Me Too story, or let me tell you what it's like to be a gay, lesbian, transgender person in the world. But I found that the work isn't the other people, the people who are the oppressors aren't, or seem to be the oppressors, aren't speaking about their experience. They're not doing the work, they're listening. Mm -hmm. So um, how, is there a way to encourage white men or straight people or even women who, um, who are misogynist or who are homophobic to speak through their like thoughts and feelings because I feel like that work it's not just enough to listen to the stories you also have to speak about how it comes out in your behavior mm -hmm. um, what's the best way to encourage that dialogue you know in 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 this similar way uh, so this, this is where lib your liberation is on the line. M many people in positions of, uh, of dominance don't know their story. They don't actually know their story in the way that we're, when you're marginalized, you are forced to know your story. You're forced to understand that you have a story and that you're working with something. When there's a presumption of this is just the way it is. Like I got here on the strengths of my own everything. 
then you don't actually get that you have a story. And, and so that is a process that has to unfold as people begin to hear things, testimony that starts to reveal how patriarchy has limited them in their white male body, right? How it has limited their ability to feel and express love. It can feel like you're on display, like almost like a curiosity, but the work of the heart is happening there. And it's important for them to be able to do that not in the presence of people that they are accustomed to uh, holding social dominance over. Because one of the um, qualities, one of the, um, not, no, not the qualities, one of the tenets of whiteness is to hold in confidence what is true. So there's politeness and there is keep things in confidence. And so part of how perfectly decent human beings could abide by the death and destruction, the genocide, the selling of other humans' bodies, the continued uh, effort to rationalize killing people with impunity because of the color of their skin and trying to say, well, they must have done something. It was those cigarettes he was selling. That something got stolen from them. Something got stolen from them. Something got stolen from every single one of you that it does not make you sick to your stomach and make you rail against your government, against every institution that continues to work just as it is supposed to, keeping people down. So you have to have compassion for the voice of the heart that has been lost or obscured in the people. And they need spaces of their own in which they can find those stories, reclaim them. No one escaped. No one escaped. So if you think you don't have a story because you're privileged, because Right? That, that means that you have, you're completely in the dark. Completely in the dark. It is only when you find your story. It is only when you realize the way that how you think, how you be has been utterly conditioned that you will understand that on the surface you get to do all kinds of things, but in, your, in the truth of your personal dignity you have absolutely no choice at all. You have no choice at all other than to abide in this location and uphold it and be complicit in it for fear that to disrupt it will destroy who you are. You have a right to reclaim yourself. 
but you have to do the work of reclaiming yourself by finding how it is that who you truly are has been obscured. That's their work to do, though, not yours. I have to say, they, me personally, I've started to do some of the work that you're inviting people to do from the side of obscuration. Mm -hmm. But I've also been someone who's been marginalized. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting path to walk with both. Yeah. So that's my intersectionality, complexity, or whatever, but it's, it's fine. But it's, I will say, just as a testimonial, doing the work that you're asking about, where are you from? How has it come to be? What's Turtle Island? What land are you on? Mm -hmm. Whose land are you on? Do you know it? What are the names? Can you speak them? What act, you know, like the engagement of that, it, it just from my own experience to anybody who's being invited to do this work, it has sort of picked up steam. Yes. And so I keep on going, not because it's difficult. I was a little overwhelmed and flooded mm -hmm. when I did three implicit bias classes at the same time and took all the, like all this other stuff. And then I kind of took a step back and then now it's like part of the fabric of my life. That's right and my practice. And I just want to really just share how much I appreciate the way that you presented tonight, mm. because I feel as though it is so clear that it's just not fun for anyone if it's not fun for everyone, you know? And the Dharma is just that. That's right. And I've been in so many spaces with so many folks, teachers included, that have the obscuration so deep. And I see them disembodied and trembling. Mm -hmm. And I feel it. And I'm saying to myself, wow, like, I want to I help you, love you, connect with you, mm -hmm. and help mm -hmm. uproot that in some way. Mm -hmm. But I can't do that work, mm -hmm. right? Like you were mm -hmm. saying. So just, I guess, for whatever it's worth to share that, mm -hmm. and any comment you might have about it is welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I do believe we can love people in, you know, I love that Shakespeare thing, methinks the lady doth protest too much. And so when I get Dharma teachers that, you know, try to tell me that, like, that's not the Dharma, I'm like, that's not the Buddha Dharma. So even the notion that the Dharma is somehow only limited to the historic Buddha's teachings says a little bit about what work you've been doing and your understanding of what this is. It is the Dharma. Understanding, peering into the nature of reality is not specific to Buddhism. The Dharma is that truth. And the only choice we really have is either to tr choose to be, try to be in relationship with the truth or to live in ignorance. That, there are no other choices. So if you're not actively engaging, like what is this? How did I come to be? How do I think of myself? How did I get what I have? I don't mean your degrees. Where did I come from? Where did this come from? What land are we on? And if it sounds like a lot of work, it is. 
And all of us have benefited, benefited enormously from our wrong knowing about the truth. We can afford a few coins, a few bits of time, and put it back in in order to begin to find some balance. And I say this truly, this is not for me, this is not the conversation I would have with everyone. There are different conversations. Nauko was with me over the weekend and there was a conversation about leadership and there's a different way that I'm facing. But I feel that I have a particular opportunity with people that present themselves as invested in liberation. You make that choice. And it's not a personal choice as to whether like your liberation includes social or not. That's not your choice. You don't get to decide that. That is just what it is. And anything else is just corruption. Because you cannot possibly understand the nature of your mind without understanding the nature of the collective mind. You cannot. And in this country, the nature of the collective mind is oppression. It is white supremacy. It is patriarchy. That is what we were born into. That is what we were built on. And if we do not understand the nature of it, how it unfolds, how it, then we can't see how it lives in us. We can't understand how we push the gears of it every single day. And are you going to extract yourself completely from it? I, I have no idea. That's not an interesting question. Just get started. <laughs> right? People just get this sort of like, right? Like it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to be able to solve it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. But just get started. Is that the excuse you're using? Is that the excuse you're using? I'm not going to earn a single dime because I may not earn a million dollars. I'm not going to go out and show up in the world because I'm not sure I'm going to accomplish the very highest thing that I hope for myself. So I'm not, I have a journey to make, but I'm not sure I'm going to get there, and so I'm not even going to walk. That is what people are saying. And it's the most childish, infantile, kind of excuse making. And awesome, turn it on yourself and go, what the fuck was that that I just said? <laughs> really, did I just say that? Did I just use that as an excuse that I'm not sure I'm not going to be able to solve world hunger, and so therefore I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to care? Just get back in your little body carcass, slip back into the ground, and be done. You've already used up all of the air you're entitled to. It's true. I'm feeling very Christian tonight. Let go and let God. It's not your business. That is not your business. We don't get to decide the outcomes. Has anybody not figured that out? We don't get to decide the outcomes. This quest for certainty, this quest for purity, it is all bound up in white supremacy, folks. 
all of that is bound up in white supremacy. This quest for like having the answer, knowing exactly how it's gonna unfold, being able to control, to dominate. It's dominator culture. Free yourself, get yourself out of that. Because if you're not working your way out, it's got you. It's got you, that's the only way it works. If you're not actively making your way out of it, it has got you. No one escapes, you're born into it. No one escapes. No one, not one single one of us escapes from perpetuating domination. We are born into it. It is the language that we all share. You may not speak English, but you speak domination if you were raised in this country. You may not know your history, but you are complicit in white supremacy if you are not, if you were raised in this country and you are not actively working against it. I don't care what color you are. If we all had bank accounts, the one thing that this country puts in every single one of our bank accounts is some white supremacy coins. And we all go and we bank on them. We spend them. And unless you are undoing that, and that is what the Buddha was about, was saying, look at this delusion. Look at it, look how it lives in you. Look how it drives you. Look how it motivates you. And yes, grieve, grieve, grieve that you didn't know any better. Grieve. You should, it should tear you apart. If you have not laid down on the floor in tears, you have not started your work in the Dharma. You should be completely undone you should come completely apart. At least once, where you're just like, who is this person? You may be doing some really awesome meditation. <laughs> really, I mean, you might be reading, reaching different jhanas or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but you are not doing the work of liberation if you have not come completely undone. That's where it begins, when you have no idea who you are. And you're just fraught with this sense of how can I possibly put this being back together? Do I even deserve to be here? These big questions, the big doubt. If you have no doubts about your path, you're not on it. Get on it. You should be in doubt. It's a kind of like doubt that has a fierce certainty to it. Do you know? Zen, we talk in koans. <laughs> you know that whatever you are is not true. You are certain that this thing that you are, you have no idea what it is. And that certainty, that, that is what drives us towards not dumbing this path down, 
the path of liberation. I'm not talking about the Buddhist path. The path of liberation. You can come from that as an activist. You can come, that, come from that as a, a yogi. You can come from that as an agnostic, from a, as a humanist. If you're on the path to liberation, you have to be motivated by this fierce sense of undoing, this willingness to come completely apart to come completely apart, to know that everything you think you know about yourself, you inherited from someplace else. And you need to take account, figure out what it's about. And then relax. <laughs> relax. Enjoy your life. Let it unfold. This is the tension, to live in both of those things. The fierce, fierce undoing and the perfected ability to be with just what is. Thank you very much. say something before you of course do any of that stuff um, I, I want to say this because someone someone asked me about this the other day um, they had they had heard that I was someplace and I said something about uh, black women and um, and I won't make it a long story but there, there was some kind of little skirmish because I had come to to do something and people, it was a workshop and people paid for the workshop and long story short, my, my attendant then made a, gave a Donna talk. And um, in, in the Zen tradition we like give a talk and people make Donna offerings, heart offerings as, as they're called in Shambhala. And the person that hosted us got kind of um, weirded out and she said, uh, but people paid already. And I was like, okay. And I left that conversation alone. And she, she worked it out. And no, nothing, no disrespect, that's, that's how we're trained. But what I told the group, and I want to tell everyone here this, once you are clear about the history and context in which we live, you will cast aside this absurd notion of fairness that we carry and realize that you can never, ever in your lifetime or the next lifetime, compensate a black woman too much. Oh. <laughs> Ever. And, I, and, and that doesn't mean everybody should go, you know, empty out your bank accounts. I mean, <laughs> zero, zero, zero to one, I'll give you my routing numbers <laughs> if you really. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's something that you want to hold in the truth of what this reality is. 
and that you cast aside these ideas and as you do that kind of like uh, peeling back the layers, the part of you that, that like freaks out a little bit and may continue to freak you out, like that means you're alive. That means you're coming into truth, right? That the part of you that starts to understand because if, if it was just, if it didn't upset you in some kind of way, we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Um, you know, then you might not really be, either you're not paying attention, right, or you're not alive. And we need to be alive. And so I, I want to share that with you and say that to you. And, and whoever that black woman is, which could be in your community uh, a trans person, which could be in your community uh, a gay man, and a white, it could be a gay white man, Right, there's somebody that you have to know that it was never fair for. And we can't hold in our hearts some kind of um, very, very corrupt idea of, of context that doesn't include the history of who and how we have become. Thank you, Thank you Sensei. I want to thank Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams and everyone who participated in this discussion and who came to the talk uh, for making this talk and conversation possible. Again, our race, racism and racial inequality meetings uh, happen routinely at the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. You are invited. Uh, we are discussing Reverend Angel's book, Radical Dharma. The next meeting is on Thursday, June 7th at 7 p.m. Visit our website, nymyadoptionbala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Uh, if you are in the New York City area, you're welcome to come to our weekly Dharma gathering as well. That's every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Thanks for listening. Later. <laughs>